All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy day. <laughs> oh, am I a little loud? No? She's great. Great. Okay. Um, so this morning, um, we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew, as we have been for a while. Um, and we're moving into a different kind of way of hearing this story, I think. Um, so there are two questions that I think can carry us this morning, and maybe even throughout the rest of our study of Matthew. Um, the first is, what does it mean to follow Jesus or be a follower of Jesus? And the second, while very closely connected to the first, um, might be a little bit more difficult to answer, um, but who or what holds authority over your life? Or perhaps what or who has power over your life? Um, these questions and the possible responses to them are woven throughout our passage for this morning. Um, and while I'm going to mostly address the first question, um, both of these are questions, again, that the Gospel writer will come back to over and over again in very different ways throughout Matthew. Um, they're very real questions that I think we need to wrestle with if we're going to keep reading Matthew. So let's start with the easy one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? The easy one. Um, take a minute or two to share with your neighbor, if you have one. If you don't have one, move and get one. Um, but not physically from your home, but just in this space. I mean, unless you want to move like Jay and Marla did and Heather and Matt. Great. Um, but take a minute or two just to talk to your neighbor about what first comes to your mind when you think about what it means to follow Jesus. You can totally steal from the Romans passage from earlier, but you don't have to. Go. just said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I didn't even think of that. Um, I know, I just said a couple minutes, sorry. What did you hear? <laughs> you, you took your time telling Deborah that you liked her hair, and I'm so glad. <laughs> I looked at the clock, it was about, it was about a minute and a half. <laughs> what did you hear? <laughs> Nothing. I can tell you what I thought, but I'm going to do that anyway. I think for me, like, something that's new is, like, learning about how Jesus was really radical, actually, the things that he was saying in his time. And uh, speaking truth to power is something that I've had a lot of opportunity to do mm -hmm. in the last two years. And um, the repercussions of that are... Exactly what Jesus said they would be. So that's kind of new. I 
Adri is actually going to be preaching this morning. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> Thank you. Anything else? We didn't really get this far. We just talked about hanging out this week. <laughs> when I think about this question, I think a lot about lately, I think from Easter, before Easter on, my kids ask a lot, why was Jesus killed? Hmm. And so we try to unpack that or give some answer for that. Um, I think about what, what led to that how that how it falls into things. Hmm. Did everybody hear Rob? He said that as his kids ask what it means, why Jesus was killed, killed he thinks a lot about this. That's good. Anything else? Heather? Did you hear, Heather? Duncan said, sometimes it just means saying yes. I'm going to keep going, because you could also preach for us. Thank you. <laughs> um, when I was putting this together, I came up with my own quick list. You know, love God with your heart and mind. Um, love your neighbors as yourself. Follow the commandments. It's a good list of things to do and not do. Um, consider the importance of scripture and its motivation for us to be transformed into different people, into the body of Christ, um, not to be isolated, but to see ourselves as a part of a body. Um, Micah 6, 8, to be humble, to love justice, to do kindness. Is that what you said? Oh, James, yeah, that's good. Um, seeking justice, though, that means a lot of different things. Justice for the immigrant, we talk a lot about that in our church. Um, maybe racial justice or justice for the homeless, or previously homeless, or the incarcerated. Um, we could spend the whole morning just coming up with ideas, I think. And that would be incredibly overwhelming, but not too difficult. Um, and as we transition out of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, um, I wanted to think about that and hold that, because that's a lot of what that sounds like and feels like. But I wanted to think about our story for today in a little bit of a different way. So I'd like to relocate us back into our story. Um, so I'm going to read a kind of a story for you, and then we're going to have a couple people read our passage. Um, so get comfortable, take a deep breath, this won't take too long, but um, this is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Thank you, Getty Images. Um, and where, so we're not stealing this, we're giving them the credit. Um, but this is where people think that Jesus may have stood, either on the top of this hill or there may have been a large crowd on the hill and he might have stood somewhere on it, speaking so people could hear him. So imagine with me. You've been laying there for as long as you can remember. Your body is aching from festering wounds, or it is numb, and the wounds only get worse because you cannot feel them. Your limbs have stopped working in the way that they used to, and people avoid you because your scaly skin is confusing, scary, aberrant. You watch your body slowly become deformed, living alone, forced by law to live outside the camp. What's that? You hear something. It's the voice of someone who seems really confident. Is it down the road? It's hard to see from the sun. No, no, that's it. It's above you, on top of the mountain. 
Or maybe it's on top of another mountain. Is the wind carrying the sound? No, no, it's at the top of your mountain, the one you've been staring at for a while now, sleeping at the bottom of with the others, the sick ones, the ones who have been cast out. You moved here when it got really bad, when people started seeing. You thought you could get away with it, but then the priest told you what you needed to do to actually stay. He told you what to bring, your body, once it was healed. What? Until then, you had to move out of town to avoid getting others sick. But how can you bring your healed body back? Is there a way to get better that doesn't cost a whole year's wages? Of course, you couldn't afford that. You had stopped working your pottery, stopped making it, because your body was wasting away. Your designs came out all wrong. The wounds got infected. It just hurt too much. So then you moved here, to your tiny corner of the bottom of the mountain, begging, praying, crying out to God, like Job, like the psalmists. You smell the ocean air and wonder if you'll ever fish again, like you used to as a boy. You wonder if you'll ever see that family that deserted you. They had to. Your sister comes every once in a while with food, but she's busy caring for her own children. You could never get married, not with this. Then there's that echo again. What, what is he saying? It's definitely a man. Blessed are you who, the wind took it. Are those who, what, what was that? Hunger and thirst? Does he mean me? I am so hungry and so thirsty, for they will be called the children of God. Does he mean it, you think? I want to be a child of God. You keep listening, striving to hear the words that are being said. Is it one man or many? Who knows? The things he is saying are remarkable. Is he a healer? A priest? What kind of person is this? Was, was that a prayer? Is he finished? No, he's still going. He tells a few more stories about who God is. They are not used, what you're used to hearing. This is the God I've needed for so long, you think. He's right. God has clothed the lilies. They are beautiful. I watch them grow in the meadow. He feeds the birds, and they have their nests. I have my own kind of nest, you think, as you look around you. Is he reading the law of Moses? More laws. We can never get away from them. The Romans have them. The Jews have them. Is this man like Moses? What else will he say, you wonder? You want to hear more, but it sounds like he's done. There's a rumble, a loud sound of feet moving, or an earthquake, perhaps a horde of animals. I hope they will not trample me, you think. No, no, it's people. They're talking. It sounds like a storm of bees and beasts. Maybe they're coming down my side of the mountain, you think. You pray that they will. I want to see this one who has said all of these things. I will get up, even though it hurts. I want to see him, you think. You get up, and you hobble toward the sound. Do you know this story? <laughs> Have you heard it, maybe once or twice? Do you know what happens? Let's see what Matthew says about it, and how it goes. This is in Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. 
reader one. This is the word of the Lord. What a day that was. (laughs) Following Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain in the Gospel according to Matthew, this is the very beginning of a repetitive set of stories that teach us about Jesus, not just his teacher, like we've learned in the Sermon on the Mount, but as a healer. These stories also teach us not about Jesus' followers per se. It's not necessarily about the people who were with him on the mountain, but about the faith of many different kinds of people that he encounters. Many of them would not typically be called or considered followers of Jesus or faithful people at all. And the stories of the healing of the leper, the centurion's servant, and Peter's mother-in-law, there are a few things that stand out to me. Not only is Jesus a healer, he has a new title. The leper, our leper, is known as the first person in the Gospel of Matthew who calls Jesus Lord. Um, Who knows if the leper thought that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel? We can just guess that. We could guess that. Um, But what we do know is that there's something really special about Jesus, and the leper gives him this very unusual title. It's unexpected. The leper's posture is also really important. Kneeling before Jesus, as hard as it may be, was a sign of great respect. And so again, we can not only guess 
We can only guess how long this man was living outside the community. Perhaps it was a few months, maybe a few years, maybe longer. Um, and all that I can imagine about this is based on my friends, people I've met who have lived outside of what is normal and expected for people. Um, it doesn't take long to live on the streets or to live outside of typical situations for people to treat you differently. Um, name calling is the least of what can occur. Even after just a few weeks of living on the streets, I've seen very kind and very humble people develop a sour disposition when the right invitation presents itself. So to kneel down at the feet of a stranger takes not only courage, but great humility and a lot of expectation. Jesus is also a teacher of the law. He allows his body, though, to be defiled. He touches this leper. He would have to be ritually cleansed after this, but we don't know if any of that happens. It's shocking. People who are hearing this story would have not just been a little bit like, oh, wow, that's interesting. They would be disgusted, um, grossed out, shocked at Jesus' touch to the leper. So when Jesus, is touched him, when Jesus touches him, something new happens. He tells the man to show the priest that he's now cured, which is the gift that Moses requires. Go show yourself to the priest. How is this supposed to happen? It's all very unclear. And Jesus makes it really clear really quickly. With the word and with a touch, he heals the man. So not only is the man's body healed, he now has a potential to be restored to life with others in the city. He doesn't have to live outside the boundaries of the city anymore. Um, he's supposed to go show the local leaders what Jesus has done, proving that he's fit to live with others. He has been restored to community, not because of what money could buy, but because of something that Jesus, this strange teacher of the law, has done. So moving on to the story of the centurion, um, these ideas are all expanded on. Um, Jesus comes to Capernaum, a very small town, <laughs> um, where he's planning on living for a while. Um, and there are a few reasons why this story is shocking, too. So this is the ancient city of Capernaum. It's not very large. When we think of cities, we think of different things. Um, you can see a handful of buildings. This is, the, this is the excavated city, so the buildings would have been a little taller. But there's basically a road and kind of another road and some buildings, so there's not a lot there. So it would have been difficult, to say the least, to avoid what happens in the middle of this little city. Um, the centurion is a representative of power, violence, and the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, um, which is not the peace that we think of today, maybe. <laughs> um, and so by seeking Jesus out, the centurion disabuses himself of all of these things, of power, of peace, um, the peace of Rome, and of violence. By calling Jesus Lord, like the leper, not only once but twice, he puts his own body at risk, um, even risk of death. You can't be in power and reach out to a Jewish peasant and ask him for help in front of everyone. 
because then you're not in power anymore. So this is appalling. Um, his calling Jesus Lord shows in his actions, they function in a way to show that what Rome has to offer is not sufficient. And that's not okay. It's okay, but it's not okay. <laughs> um, he denies Caesar and proclaims Jesus' otherliness in the middle of the town, in front of everyone. He knows that Jesus is not like anyone else. Because he says it twice, it is clear that Matthew wants this to stand out to the people who are hearing this message. He wants them to be struck by this. He wants us to be struck by it. Um, and there's something that we learn later in Matthew that so for the centurion to do this, even death has lost its sting because he's not afraid of that. The faith of the centurion, Jesus points out, is a truly remarkable faith. Um, he basically says, all you who are faithful, who follow God, who do the right things and say the right things, even this man, this one who represents violence, oppression, money, power, Basically, the worst kinds of powers in the world at one time, this man has such faith that he and others like him, from far away, not from here, will sit at the table and eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But all y'all, you, the heirs of the kingdom, you'll find yourselves in outer darkness, and there will be a gnashing of teeth. In other words, you chosen people of Israel, take stock of your expectations and pride you may find that you are wrong. This is great news for the Gentiles among us, right? I'm Jewish. My family is Jewish. <laughs> right? But wait. <laughs> Maybe this isn't just for me. Um, perhaps this is for all of us who consider ourselves to be faithful people, too. To reconsider, not because we're doing it wrong, but to continuously reconsider who we think are faithful and how we think faithfulness looks in our own lives. It helps us reconsider how we determine who is in and who is out over and over and over and over again. And then finally in our story, Jesus healing of Peter's mother-in-law, probably somewhere in this city, this small city, in a very small space, um, is another remarkable event. We know, we don't know if she was on the mountain with Jesus with everyone else. We don't know. But we do know that she had Jesus coming to her. She was expecting him in her home, and she was sick enough to have to be laying down when a guest came. And I don't know, if this was me, I'd be super frustrated. I work really hard to make sure that when I'm in my home and people are coming over, I can rally, <laughs> and I can make this work. Um, it brings up, the, the story brings up some questions about the role of women in the home. You know, it's Mother's Day, so we would be really careful about that. Um, so I think today we can acknowledge anybody who's hosting a guest. I think of a lot of people in our body who host people. Maybe Peter, Yakota. If he had Jesus coming to his house, he would be really mad if he had a fever that was so bad that he couldn't make a giant, amazing meal and invite the whole neighborhood. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. <laughs> um, so likewise, in healing Peter's mother-in-law, not this Peter, but his friend, um, Jesus opens up a way for her to serve him and to serve the whole community, a way for her to respond, even in her own home, to all that Jesus had done. 
And it sounds like a whole lot of people came over after that, um, bringing Jesus to heal people from their illnesses and demons. So she had a lot of work to do. And Jesus enabled her to do that work. So when Jesus comes down the mountain, he doesn't come with a new set of laws like Moses on tablets. He comes down the mountain and he heals. He invites the leper, the one who is outside in. He continuously confuses our expectations of who is in and who is out and who's in power and who is not. He has us wondering about our own faithfulness too. And all are invited, like the centurion, like the woman, like the leper, to respond to Jesus in different ways of serving him. And we're surrounded by beautiful examples of this in our community. Um, but he invites us also to trust, not in what we can do or provide for ourselves, what money can do, what our money can do, what our power can do. Um, he invites us to have faith and to hope for Jesus' actions in our lives. And that looks different for a lot of us, but he invites us to ask. He invites us to ask. The story invites us to see the one who breaks so many rules <laughs> and confuses so many boundaries. He heals at the bottom of the mountain, uh, here. He heals in the middle of the city, and he heals in the privacy of someone's home. Sometimes you can see it, and sometimes you can't, but we know that he does it. And that's what reminds us about how we can be faithful, I think. Um, so as we, before we take Eucharist, um, this is our faithful response every week to God's faithfulness to us. We come for it and we leave with it in our bellies. We remember it with our bodies. We remember that the one who was crucified is also the one who healed. We remember that the one who was raised from the dead offered himself to strangers and outcasts. So then we too, those of us who know and love this story, are invited to be open, even to those who might hurt us. Not because we're masochists, but because we know that even death does not have the last word. The meal of Christ's broken body and spilled blood is a different kind of peace. As the story says, he took our infirmities and bore our diseases. The power of Jesus the Messiah displays is the power to receive our illnesses and the things that we suffer. This isn't a form of violence or control, but the deep love of God shared with each of us who has faith. Whoever we are, all of us are welcome. So why don't we sing, I guess, before the kids come back, and then we'll take you, Chris, together. <laughs>